And you're listening to The Collabcast, a podcast about pop culture and the creative life from an Asian-American perspective. Welcome to episode 89 of the Collabcast. It's Thursday or Friday, October 13th or 14th, depending on when we release this episode. Um, welcome to the show. Um, I'm Marvin. I'm Minji. And we're your hosts for this weekly look at pop culture in Asian America. And I'm back. I'm back in LA. We're in the same room. I don't know when's the last time we recorded a podcast in the same room together. It's been like six weeks. More than that. Seven-ish. Like. Yeah. Around. Um, we are in the same room, but our guest is in a separate <laughs> in a, room from us. Another room. It's across LA on the other side of the country, basically, from <laughs> us. Um, welcome. Um, our guest this week is Jeff Yang. Um, he is a journalist, writer, celebrity dad, and <laughs> all around just cool community supporter guy. <laughs> Hi, Jeff. Hey, Jeff. Hi. Thank you guys so much for that lovely introduction. Uh, all 100% accurate uh, with uh, usual humble caveats, of course. <laughs> <laughs> We're so glad to have you, though. I've actually, we've been, we've been wanting to get bring you on the podcast for a while now. For a long time. Yeah, since um, you're, you know, your, your eloquence precedes you, and we just want to get <laughs> some of that smart energy into this room. Well, it's also like that we're in the middle of this psychotic pre-production phase of a big event, which we'll talk about later. But but all of us are like, let's barrel through this because we got to get back to work. Yeah, but yeah, it's, it's it's basically like let's let's cast the guy we're talking to all the time anyway. That's the easiest thing. <laughs> but make it fun. <laughs> I'm excited though. I don't know if you um, I've told you about this, but I used to subscribe to your magazine back in the day. That was the first like magazine I bought with my own money when I got my high school job. Aww. I subscribed to A Dot Magazine, which. Um, was was that the first ever Asian American focused um, print magazine? Right? No, uh, I mean not the very first. Uh, a magazine, Inside Asian America, as it was called. Mm. Uh, we were we were certainly first alphabetically and in our own hearts. <laughs> <laughs> That's all that but chronologically, there were there were quite a few uh, other publications that had come. Be- well, a number of other publications that had come before us. Uh, actually, the the origins of a magazine. For those of you guys who m- may have never heard of it, or may have never heard of Magazines. <laughs> <laughs> what are those? They're things made of paper that you, you stapled together and uh, put printed words on. Uh, and uh, I had actually uh, co-founded it with some some friends graduating from college, actually. Uh, and we had been inspired to do so because there was this magazine called Bridge, uh, published out of New York and Boston. Well, New York initially, and then later Boston, uh, by a group of of you know, kind of radical hippie activist types. Yes. Uh, that first generation of Asian Americans, you know, in the seventies, uh, out of a, a an organization called the the Basement Workshop, and I actually had been working for a nonprofit uh, up in Boston, and first come across Bridge Magazine in like a stack of dusty, to be recycled uh, materials in a box, and. <laughs> 
realized that, hey, there actually were people talking about Asian American stuff back in the day before most of us were born. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. I remember, I don't remember how I found out about it, but I knew, I think it was, it was probably online. I was probably online through Net Zero, you know, back in the day (laughs) when we had dial up. And I I just knew that Ah. I had to have it. (laughs) I think I actually. The free internet dial up. Yes. I gave my parents money so they can give me a check, cut a check for me. And I mailed it in. cute. Oh, (laughs) hardcore fan. I love these origin stories. But yeah, since then you've written, you've worked for different publications like, um, like the Wall Street Journal. Um, You've written for the New York Times and. No big deal. No I, big yeah. deal. <laughs> I, I feel like I've kind of uh, blown, been blown sideways through uh, the world of, of print publication uh, and online and and radio and television in various ways. Uh, it's, it's kind of amazing because uh, the one common thread across all the different places I've written uh, is that I've always written about Asian Americans and Asian stuff long before anybody even really kind of cared about it in a lot of ways. Uh, I mean, and I'm not saying that to brag. I'm literally <laughs> saying that back in the day, I was that guy, the guy who like in the newsroom was saying, hey, why don't we do this thing about this Asian thing over here? And everybody would roll their eyes and move on to whatever, <laughs> <laughs> whatever more interesting thing or more important piece of news that they believed uh, should be actually on, on, you know, uh, on the cover of whatever. And I, I think that what's amazing to me is uh, – even back then, I, I felt like if we all just sort of waited enough, clapped hard enough, held our breath, whatever it is, uh, Tinkerbell would come back to life and Asian Americans would be relevant. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for holding down the fort yeah, is all I can you. say because we know that feeling very yeah. well even though that's <laughs> a few steps after. But now you're best known as um, Celebrity Dad, father of Hudson <laughs> Yang, who is the uh, one of the stars of Fresh Off the Boat. Which just premiered the third season. Yeah, uh, premiere just came out this week. Um, it's it's crazy, <laughs> right? I mean, who who would have believed that an Asian American show would have three seasons? Would actually have three seasons, right? Right. Uh, yeah, that. I mean, it is the thing I'm I'm most proud of uh, of being Hudson Yang's father and Skylar Yang, his brother's father. <laughs> uh, being a dad is is a big part of my identity right now, uh, and. You know, it would be even if if one of my kids wasn't actually on TV. <laughs> yeah. But in, in the case of Fresh Out the Boat, what's really amazing about it is uh, that the arrival of Fresh Off the Boat come came 20 years after the death of All American Girl. And uh, I've told this story before, but the death of All American Girl is something that that weighs pretty heavily on my own shoulders because at the time I was I was a TV critic. I was a TV critic for The Village Voice. Uh, one of the only, if not the only, Asian Americans with a regular TV beat in the country. And um, and I knew Margaret, you know, I mean, from back then and uh, supported her. And in fact, it was at an event that I had, I had organized uh, uh, for APA Heritage Month where from the stage she actually announced that this show, All American Girl, was being made off of her comedy. Nice. So uh, when I was actually asked to to review it, I told my my editor, it didn't seem like a good idea. I felt like I had a lot of conflicts of interest, and uh, I knew Margaret, and you know wanted this show to be successful. and And he basically said, "Look, you know, you have to make a decision. You're a young critic. This is like your first gig. Do you want to be friends with stars, or do you want to actually do your job?" Ooh. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it was harsh, and it galvanized me 
and and you know, I said, okay, I'll do it. And I, I watched it, and it just was not good. And I wrote that in, I would say, fairly harsh words. Uh, warned Margaret of it in advance, but when she actually saw the piece, she basically called me up and uh, and said, you know, that when this show is canceled, they're going to toss this article on the table and say, if your if your people don't even support this show, why should we? And I said, that's crazy. And then literally when the show was canceled 19 episodes in, I heard from other people that basically that very thing had happened, that they had uh, cited lack of community support and the fact that it not only had lack of critical acclaim, but it didn't have you know, that sort of uh, the boosting, if you will, from kind of community voices uh, that would, should give it time to like turn around. Uh, I mean, it, it broke my heart. It really did. Yeah, you know? I can't imagine. And that's like an ongoing conversation, at least still, that we struggle with because it's the rep sweats. It's having art that we feel really proud to say this is this is a representation of us. This is an extension of our story, etc. But you don't it's hard. It's you want to encourage people to be brave enough to go do that and then to keep developing and to keep that's such like yeah. that's such a shitty role to be in <laughs> to but have to be it's, um. At. And we'll we'll go into more about this with Jeff um, later on in our feature segment. Um, but before we get to that, um, every week we start the podcast with a roundtable segment where we talk about what's on our minds in the world of Asian America and pop culture. Um, <laughs> before we dive deeper into this, definitely stuff that I want to talk about with Jeff later Martin's on. Like chomping at the um, <laughs> But let's start this with like, what's on your mind, Minji? Um, I have multiple, so I don't know who's going to take what, because there's a lot that's happened in the last <laughs> week that's annoying the crap out of me. Um, I always do the annoyed ones. I'm annoyed about this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's my thing. Well, okay. thing that I'm happy about is the response that um, the Mulan script is has been widely shared that it's not going to be a white male lead. So right. I am happy about that. So for listeners who haven't been following... But it started with being annoyed. <laughs> ...social media for the last week or so, um, there was a leaked spec script that came out um, about the new Disney live-action Mulan, which, um, which had some very distressing story beats, mainly that the focus is on some white merchant dude who comes to the aid of China and falls in love with Mulan. And steals her thunder by <laughs> defeating, you know, the final, like, if it's Sean Yu or whatever, like, from the Disney movie. Like, he gets to destroy him. You know, like, really? And it was written by two women. And I'm like, really? And all the things. And it was Columbus Day, so I was like, really? <laughs> <laughs> just perfect timing. It was just the... Uh, I think um, Phil, our friend Phil, you've angry him was the man who broke the story. And I think... I want to say that was part of his timing, like perfect timing of, course. of, the, of the story. Well, it was an anonymous blogger, right? Right. An anonymous guest blogger, so yay. Yeah. But it's interesting because this exact story happened with the um, that Bruce Lee movie that just got made. Mm-hmm. Um, where the Bruce Lee fight is the background and the front ground is this like, white dude who wants to woo the... Uh, the exotic Asian girl? Yeah. <laughs> I'm flipping my hair as I say that. But, so, you know, I... It's something which actually I, I've been mulling over, and I'm trying to write a piece for it, actually. In fact, uh, that piece is overdue, so <laughs> my editor's listening. I'm sure she's not. <laughs> uh, I apologize. I'll try to get it done later. But uh, the, you know, the fact is, I mean, we can articulate these individual incidents and say that they are uh, infuriating, and they certainly are. 
but on some level, it's really the larger pattern that is much more the issue, right? Yes. I mean, you know, Disney, uh, I think, to their credit, pushed back very rapidly and said, look, that was an initial draft that we're never going to use. It, it's getting a page zero rewrite by another two white writers, but that's besides the point. <laughs> uh, and uh, they never intended to actually, you know, kind of follow through with that particular plot, which then raises the question of why commission the script at all, if that's the case. But, exactly. um, you know, so so they understand that it's not something that was going to fly, right? And yet, the fact is, uh, this, the Bruce Lee movie that you're talking about, uh, the uh, the surfacing of this purchased pitch for um, this television show uh, in the making uh, that NBC thought was a good idea called Mail Order Family. Uh, <laughs> and then, you know, separately, uh, with slightly different calibrations, you know, The Great Wall, starring Matt Damon, right. uh, Iron Fist, starring... Basically, a uh, British guy from Game of Thrones. <laughs> you know, yes, uh, they're all a little different. Iron Fist isn't actually Asian in the comics. Matt Damon is one of, uh, what, five leads who just happens to have be on all the posters. Uh, <laughs> but uh, these all add up to something really straightforward, which is that even in this day and age, this we can't be the protagonist in our own stories. Yeah. We're always seen as being uh, somehow either the progenitors, the providers, the supporters, the sidekicks, the the uh, enablers of other people's heroism, other people's storytelling, other people's journey. Uh, and it's something that people of color have had to face with, face forever. But for, for Asian Americans in particular, it is infuriating because it, it, even when we're talking about stories that are designed for screens that might be on the other side of the world, right? Like The Great Wall, which is a co-production between a Chinese... Uh, production company and and a a Hollywood one, the money that's going to be made from that and from virtually any film these days is going to be majority coming from China. And yet, even for Chinese stories told to Chinese people, we can't actually be the hero <laughs> if it's a Hollywood supported film. So that that's something to really think about, right? I mean, yeah. you know, if we if we look at the journey of of you know television to arrive at Fresh Off the Boat. Uh, and Master of None, and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, and a lot of other shows that are telling more authentic Asian-American stories, you, you say to yourself, it's possible. People will watch these things. People will tune in to Asian-American faces and stories and voices. Why can't we get this done on the big screen? Right. Why are movies so bad at it? You know? right. It comes from this, this kind of old-fashioned and outdated notion that Asian-Americans can't lead stories. Or Asian faces can't lead these stories. We have to have a prototypical hero character. To, the relatable like, one. Yeah, <laughs> and it's funny that hmm. it's super interesting that it, even in stories that haven't been even been written yet or developed yet, we're already preemptively getting bracing ourselves for the inevitable like disappointment of what Hollywood will do. Like, take Samantha Futterman's um, Twin Stars that just got unbought by ABC, yep. and. In the undercurrent of the celebration was like, wait, why is everyone working on this show white? And like, what does that mean? <laughs> right. And um, The Lives of Tao, by a book by Wesley Chu, just got um, just got option two for television. And already there's there's trepidation on like, or are they going to cast an Asian guy as the as the main character or, 
you know, what are they going to do? And well, that's like, and that makes sense because obviously, I mean, this everything that you listed, Jeff, you you basically kind of listed the last twenty episodes of Collabcast because every week <laughs> there's something new that yeah, it's stitched together. It's this quilt or this tapestry, if you will, of this gigantic problem and annoying tendency to continuously do that. But I'm glad people are complaining yeah, the about the bright it. side. Now is more people are speaking up about it instead of accepting as well it's just like you know how like um the 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 common conversation we have with our parents is about representation and like being creatives it's like well they'll never accept you because this is the way they are i feel like more people are now questioning that that um baseline right like right well, the thing is, I mean, that's what we have to keep doing. And like people can get annoyed. I don't care. But we're going to get pissed off and we're going to say this is not acceptable. And we're going to say exactly why. We're going to articulate exactly what we're, we've been saying for the last six minutes of this conversation. <laughs> because the thing to me, because we are in this culture and we're in this community where we have known about this dynamic, this trend for years and years and years, I'm at the point of these should not even be written. So I don't want any of those scripts to be completed. That takes a great deal of time, thought, energy, creative soul. Somebody put a lot of work into that. And then a bunch of people said, okay, that's a great idea. And another bunch of people said, hey, let's consider this. You know, let's put it in a room in front of decision makers, even though ultimately they're not greenlining it. Obviously, it's not moving forward. But it was done and it was, you know, it got that far and that's, that should not, that's not okay with me. So well, look, I mean, even, even things like, uh, you know, again, circling back to the, the, uh, what 88, uh, collab casts that I was not invited to participate in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you, you guys did one in which you talked about, uh, the Oscars, right. And the, the little Chris Rock sketch, which used, you know, a little Asian boys as props. Hey, we, right? we invited Phil for that one. Like, yeah, yeah, understandably <laughs> so, right? You know, so this is the thing that kind of blows my mind, right? You, you have uh, three Asian kids. Uh, you put them on stage. You know, you have this this uh, mocking narrative where literally they don't react in any way. They're 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 immobile, standing there, costumed, bespectacled, and treated as objects, right? And then shuffled off stage and. There was another way of doing that, you know. Yep. If you wanted to get three Asian kids, I know three Asian kids who would have been able to do it in a way that would not have actually led to them being mocked. In a way that they could actually have spoken up and and maybe you know I can tell you that the eldest of the three <laughs> would have been like, "What you talking about, Chris?" You know, there, there's a way of giving agency even in a circumstance where you know where you're trying to to uh, evince humor uh, when you're you know and. This is part of the the bigger thing here, right? I think a lot of people have a tendency to conflate this notion of not being a protagonist or not not having agency in stories with this idea that Asians only want stories that make us look good, right? And that isn't actually what I'm what I'm talking about, or I think most people who are actually storytellers, writers, creators are talking about. Right. Ditto. We we would love to have great villains. We would love to have great clowns and great you know and great uh spouses and partners and lovers and, like, and great side people but make them three-dimensional right. and give them some kind of inner life inner world that they can actually share with the world you mean besides the ancient chinese mystery and like mysticism and well i just watched magnificent seven a couple days ago and <laughs> leave young on i love him and he's done well and he's done all these great mo- like he made gi joe worthwhile watching to me for me, but like the muscles and 
<laughs> all of it. He's just small. He's lovely. But at the same, you know, he's the quiet. Well, it's also because he's not as great at English or whatever. But, you know, he is in the movie, but I'm sure his line. <laughs> I don't know how they paid for speaking roles because he didn't speak. He's just like. Well, he was chummy with Ethan Hawke. Five. Or, I know. I know. I know. But I'm saying. <laughs> is he just on posters? I don't yeah. even know. He's on posters. He's in the posters. He's in the posters. I mean, he's the, the, he's the knife expert. He's a silent knife expert. And it's in a Western, so of course he's like that foreign man. They don't specify where he's from. I was like, if they say China. But it's probably <laughs> China. Yeah, it's probably China. But in any case, I mean Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well I, I want to bring up one more thing, which mm-hmm. is uh this is something that just broke today, and I it's the thing I'm I'm most proud of. And I think Minji, you also shared it, right? In fact, I think I shared it from your share. It's it's that uh Daniel Day Kim uh, has not been taking this this stuff in stride, nor he's been sitting and complaining. He's been doing shit, as people do, right, yeah. as we do. And uh, to hear that he's executive produced uh, not one, not two, but three shows, three different projects that are moving forward with him essentially having identified incredibly, you know, incredibly rich and powerful stories with true characters that are Asian American or that are Asian and will star Asian Americans for American entertainment. You know, all of them adapted from Korean sources. I mean, it's mind-blowing to me that we didn't know about this earlier, but now that we do know about it, it's clear what the, the way forward is. We can't we can't trust anybody else, you know, in some ways. I mean, yeah, there are people who well, wish well to us, but even fresh off the boat, if it wasn't for Melvin Marr, Chinese-American, executive producer, busting his ass to actually have this thing be made, it would not have been made. It would have been mail-order family, you know, the early years or something like that. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Yeah. Well, anyway. I was like, I want to talk about Empower now. But we'll get to that later. We'll get to that. Um, yeah. Um, Jeff, what's been on your mind? Besides all the things that we've been talking <laughs> about. <laughs> well. <laughs> I mean... So I, I think that uh, more than anything else, I feel like we're in a pivotal moment. Uh, I, I don't want to make it sound like kind of the great battle of good and evil, right? Uh, politically, uh, socially, culturally, you know, it, it's it's not quite like that. But I do feel like there is there are these these two forces: a force of you know the force for change and progress, uh, a force for inclusion, a force for uh, greater freedom of expression, but embrace of you know, a multiplicity of voices. And then there's this resistance or, or counterforce, uh, which is about, you know, normalizing racism, suppressing expression, uh, returning to an era in which America was perceived to have a permanent white majority. You know, we see these playing out electorally, but I think we also see these playing out in media. And uh, to me, it's it's almost like we can never have the best of times without having the worst of times. Yep. That's what I that's what's on my mind right now. I feel like everywhere we look, amazing things are happening. Everywhere we look, right next to those amazing things, atrocities are occurring. Right. And you know, I mean, I'd like to think that that's just a a a last throes of chaos before things collapse or or uh, reconfigure into a a more positive frame, but. It's it's worrisome. It's worrisome. Uh, hell, it's worrisome as the father of, of kids. Yeah, and I I get I get very uh, spiritual hippie about things, but I I believe in I don't know how to phrase this without sounding super 
like glass ball lady. But I just believe that sometimes we need to have something. We don't need to, but oftentimes when we are faced with something that is challenging, upsetting, um, not you know, not ideal for what comfort what will make us feel comfortable and peaceful and happy and powerful and all those things that we you know we thrive off of. Sometimes that produces a great reaction. And the funny thing is, I think with this year, there's just so many blatant examples. Like, again, every week we've had something or multiple things for Minji to rant about. <laughs> and But, like, ironically, I'm grateful for that. I'm finding gratitude in the fact that it is making it so blatantly obvious to everybody else. What we've been, like, in our nuanced way, what we've seen from our perspectives because we were interested or accessible to certain things that others were not – now it's just obvious to everybody. Now it's just like, all right, this is ridiculous. This is BS. Can't stand it. I'm not going to keep quiet about it. For that, I'm very grateful because sometimes just people will not react or speak up until they are moved to do so. And now I feel like everybody has been moved to do so. Yeah, and no, definitely we've talked a lot about how, you know, especially the future that we're, we're building here at Collaboration in terms of trying to get more diversity mainstream, that the future that we want to see is a an America that's diverse and that is where our strength comes from, being able to accept all these different cultures and to you know, derive our own identity through them. And I think this year more than ever, we see that playing out, you know, even in media. I mean, um, I think this past few years, and again, we'll, we'll talk about this more um, after the break, but um, we've seen that diversity in shows, in in television programs, not only can be successful, can be very like, um, I don't know if lucrative is the right word, but a good business decision. And we see, you know, other, other prog- like we see that starting to spread. And you see like things like the Mail Order Bride you know, to me, it feels like people are scrambling to get these diverse stories out and maybe because they don't know how. Yeah. They're like stumbling a little bit, but it's definitely becoming more of a mandate than ever before. There's urgency. There's yeah. like, if I if I don't step up, who will? And so I'm glad. Yeah. yeah. I'm staying positive. <laughs> and you wouldn't know that sometimes despite all my ranting. But inside, I'm just letting it out so that I can stay positive. <laughs> All right, well, um, before we get to the break, um, really quick, my topic, we don't have enough time to go through it, but I was going to talk about road trips because I took a 20-hour drive from Seattle down to L.A. Very nice. Um, mm. And, yeah, that was fun. And I guess, no, we'll, we, we can we'll talk about up. this later. We'll yeah. <laughs> but um, <laughs> thanks. Um, that was our roundtable segment. Um, a little bit longer than usual, but good stuff nonetheless. Uh, we're going to take a quick break to talk about some collaboration updates and the events that are coming up and we'll be back with more from Jeff after this. Hey everyone, Marvin here. Just wanted to remind everyone that this podcast is part of Collaboration, where a nonprofit organization supporting Asian Americans in the arts and entertainment. Discovering, elevating, showcasing, and connecting the creative talents of our API communities. You can learn more about Collaboration and our website at www.collaboration.org, where you can also find our other content offerings, including podcasts, videos, and blog articles. Collaboration also wants to remind you that we have a couple great events coming up in November. It's our Empower Creative Leadership Conference and our Collaboration Star Grand Finale Showcase. The conference runs from Friday, November 11th to Saturday, November 12th, and features keynotes, panels, and workshops from prominent Asian professionals in the entertainment industry. 
You can learn more about the conference as well as register now at empower.collaboration.org. Also that weekend is STAR, featuring the grand finale of our annual talent discovery showcases. Six up-and-coming performers from all around the nation will be joining us in LA to compete for the national title of Collaboration STAR. The show will also feature some great guest performances, including a confirmed collaborative act by Collaboration alums Jane Louie and Paul Date. Tickets are on sale now at star.collaboration.org. One last thing before we go, um, the Collabcast is proud to be a founding member of the new Potluck Podcast Collective, a new collective of Asian-American podcasts and podcasters, bringing you fresh perspectives and unique stories from Asian America. The collective is gearing up for our official launch later in mid-October, but you can get a head start by following us at Podcast Potluck on Twitter, as well as checking out our website at podcastpotluck.com. And I think that's it. Um, don't forget, you can always contact the Collabcast by emailing us at podcast at collaboration.org. We always look forward to hearing from you. And with that, let's get you back to the show. And welcome back to the Collabcast. This is episode 89. We've come a long way. It's almost 90. <laughs> Holy crap. We have to plan something for our 100th party. Oh. I, yeah, eventually. <laughs> He's I'm, like, I don't want to do a party. I'm I don't want to plan out anything. At this point, but, <laughs> no, um, <laughs> um, I'm Marvin here with my co host Minji, and we're here with our guest, writer, journalist, dad, <laughs> Jeff Yang. Jeff Yang, yes. Carl Blazer. Father I just of think Hudson it, Yang. Seriously, though, and I, the more that I learn about Jeff as a person, like, obviously, we've been working on this project together, um, but hearing the story about A Magazine and all that stuff, which I didn't know a lot of that background. I just feel like it's such a poetic thing that it's that Hudson, your son, becomes, <laughs> you know, fresh off the boat. It's so great. You could call it poetic or you could call it uh, karma. Maybe. Yeah, all the things, <laughs> all of it. So I want to talk a little bit about, well, there's a lot of things I want to talk to Jeff about. Um, I guess, um, you know, you, you've mentioned that your career has been spent a lot of times being like the Asian American guy in your newsroom, yeah. and um, I've met, I've, I've been to a couple, you know, events and other panels and stuff where that's a struggle, right? Like people are f- so afraid, especially in when they're talking about culture, racial journalism, to be pigeonholed as the mm-hmm. X guy, right? Well, you know, I mean, it's always a concern. You don't, you don't want to be, you don't want to be reduced. You don't want to be uh, uh, compressed into an easily dismissible capsule of Asian-ness, right? Uh, that's true for journalists. That's true for actors and actresses and filmmakers and authors. Uh, it's true for um, Lucy Liu, <laughs> for instance. You know, and I, I had a uh, an extensive uh, Twitter rant slash conversation about this uh, very recently when um, Lucy, who I, I have to say, I I absolutely respect uh, and support her. I think she's a brilliant actress. I think she's uh, somebody who has done good things for the community and has been absolutely uh, had the, she's absolutely had the agenda to try to get more Asian Americans on the shows that she's been on like elementary, which Mm -hmm. is all incredibly great stuff. But, you know, she made this comment or a set of comments uh, when being interviewed recently, I think it was the New Yorker festival uh, about how, much she disliked getting the questions about being an Asian American actress and about how uh, unpleasant it was to have to 
after many, many years of doing things far beyond being Asian American, you know, to still have to field these calls, these these questions, these uh, these lines of inquiry around what it means to be Asian American. Why can't I just be an actress? And she talked about how proud she was that she had been asked to join the Television Academy uh, before, quote unquote, the big diversity push. Uh, so she got in, quote unquote, because of her talent, right? So this was really triggering for me <laughs> because um, as that guy, you know, as the Asian guy uh, at, at the Asian desk in, in every place I've been, <laughs> I, I, of course, have, have recognized that it can be limiting sometimes to be perceived as the, the go-to person on Asian American or Asian stuff. I remember, you know, back when people actually used to mail stuff to people, you know, as opposed to email it, uh, my, you know, my mailbox was always full of everything that everybody else received that had anything related to Asianness, right? They're <laughs> right. like, oh, this Send is for you. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's like, you know, Balinese shadow puppets. Yes, Jeff will like this. And, <laughs> it, you know, initially, I was a very young cultural critic, very young, very young uh, journalist. Uh, at, at first, I was like infuriated because, like, I wasn't interested in seventy-five percent of the stuff. Uh, it, it, it's the equivalent of sort of standing in an elevator uh, with, you know, let's say a group of people who are not Asian, and just as you're going up in the elevator, they turn to each other and say, "Hey, let's have Chinese food uh, for lunch today," <laughs> or something. And you just absolutely know that it's because they were reminded of Asianness because you were there. So, you know, my my Asian presence, my one person who's Asian presence in the newsroom meant that uh, people were kind of being reminded of the fact that there was Asianness present in America, but they were also offloading all of it to me. And what I realized was that I was irritated because 75% of the stuff was completely uninteresting to me and irrelevant. But 25% of the stuff was actually super interesting and very relevant, and more importantly, not being covered by anybody else. It was so irrelevant to the white and black and Hispanic people in the uh, the newsroom who were not me that they were foisting off on me. And it would never be covered if somebody didn't pick up that that torch and say, you know what, I will write about this Balinese Shadow Puppet Festival. Not that, <laughs> but you know, something like that. Right. Uh, so it came down to me to this sense of like, all right, if you're a journalist and you're a member of a minority uh, group of any sort, you know, you can either treat your your sense of difference and uniqueness as a liability and suppress it so that you can be just like everybody else and try to erase uh, that sense of uh, exceptionalism uh, or or isolation in some ways that embracing who you are uh, can do, or you can treat it as like a superpower. And you can say, <laughs> you know what, I'm the one who's going to find these stories because you don't care, and I do, right? And so that's what I ended up doing, you know? I mean, in for A Magazine, the whole magazine was basically about that. Uh, for the writing I, I've done ever since, I've written about things beyond Asian America, but I, I've never actually felt that the... Uh, ability to write about Asian or Asian American stuff or or the remit to write about it has stopped me from writing about other things. Yeah. But I've also never regretted the fact that uh, I I have chosen that as kind of a beat to embrace. Well, you had your column at the Wall Street Journal, right? The Tao Jones. Was that Wall Street yeah. Journal? or Wall Street Journal. And yeah. then before that, I had a column in, in the San Francisco Chronicle uh, on, on their online platform called Asian Pop, right. which was you know, very similar. And I remember that that was... For a long time, one of like 
you would see your articles pop up anytime like something happens. Yeah, you would be like the guy to write that think piece or that article. And I'm sure you know, like reading because you're you're a really good writer too. So I'm sure reading that stuff inspired like a lot of people to like this is something that we can write about. And like it's kind of like how when Minji and I started this podcast and just talking through you know a lot of the All early issues, feelings. but kind of figuring out that there's a voice here that you know that people are people do relate to and you know whenever we find like during my trip to seattle i met like two or three people actually listened to the podcast mm-hmm. um, who brought it up like oh you're the guy from the collab kiss i'm like awesome you don't no no one no one really listens, <laughs> no one to, this, listens to us <laughs> no i've had that too yeah and that was amazing and and the thing i think jeff like i really appreciate that voice because I've personally struggled with it. There are times where I get really frustrated with the state of Asian-ness, it's state <laughs> of Asian America, right? And that's something that I I have actually pushed myself to use, to use CollabCast as a therapy session for me to be honest about those feelings. Because like we said, it's it's... I'm sick of the idea that we cannot be three-dimensional people, that we have to portray this very perfect image. And if we don't, then suddenly we're doing a disservice to Asian America. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. and so I, I appreciate that because I've really struggled with that. And it's really nice to hear somebody who's clearly gone through the gauntlet and by, you know, in so many more <laughs> different forms and for through, you know, a lot more blatant racism and just you know different i feel a lot of my issues now i feel so nuanced and so like i'm making a bigger deal than it it might be but i've wanted to turn in my asian card i'm just like i don't want to talk about this anymore (laughs) i don't want i don't want to like you know for various reasons where you know where i just feel discouraged for xyz i'm just like i'm tired i'm tired and then i get pulled back and i was like well we need to register to vote and then mulan happens and then mulan and i'm like no (laughs) i don't know I mean, it's it's who I am, and I can I will never run away from that. But part of who I am is struggling with that issue of representation identity. I don't feel right saying that I'm representing all of Asian America because that's mm. absolutely not true. But then you'll have that imposed on you, like Jeff saying. Everyone will start emailing you and start saying <laughs> you know all the things about that, and then you get mad, like, well, why didn't they ask my opinion about this? <laughs> so here's the thing, right? Uh, I feel like the story of our our creative community especially, uh, has been a really interesting one uh, as far as the evolution of what we think is important or what we think is is a thing we should be fighting for, right? Um, you know, in the very beginning, we we're just fighting to get jobs, you know? We we're just fighting to actually get a foot in the door. And then we started talking about inclusion, right? We didn't just want to get any jobs. We wanted to actually be at the table for like real jobs, you know, not the crappy fourth waiter from the left, right? right. Or, you know, uh, whatever. And then we started talking about, you know, not just uh, inclusion, but, you know, representation, being at the forefront, being in the spotlight, being in the center. And now I kind of feel like the real battle that we should be fighting for is about agency. It's about mm. being able to make the choices, whether it's because we're controlling the content, t- you know, creating the stories, or whether it's because we choose where and how we want to be represented. And sometimes those representations are going to be big, sometimes small, sometimes funny, sometimes heroic, sometimes villainous, and sometimes angelic, right? But as long as we have the same range of motion that other that other talent or other voices have, then it's okay. 
the biggest issue we've always faced is that the reason why we complain about representation is because there's only like two, you know, there's like three, two or three uh, Asian American roles that have any kind of prominence. And if, you know, two of those three go to white people <laughs> or, uh, you know, get written in ways that, that make a mockery of the performer or are cast with, you know, talent from overseas, then all of a sudden Asian Americans are erased, right? Uh but if we had a thousand roles, or if we had roles that we had some say in developing and framing and not just acting in or, or inhabiting, then a lot of that's, that conversation becomes less uh, headachy and problematic. Right. Yeah. And, you know, that's where people like Daniel Day Kim come in, creating those opportunities. I, I kind of feel like, so um, I've thought a lot about just this, this recent wave, because we've, we've seen waves of you know, like, this is our time before, and they've always faded, right? Like, um, mm-hmm. when Margaret had her show, that was one wave. We're like, oh, maybe this is our time. You know, when Justin Lin was creating um, Better Luck Tomorrow, we're like, this is, like, our time for movies. And each of those waves kind of felt like false start because we were back in the status quo within, like, a year or two. But I feel like this specific wave with Fresh Out the Boat, with um, Dr. Ken, um, with all the you know stories that um, there's some momentum that I haven't felt within the creative community in like ever. I, I really don't think I agree with you, and I really don't think we're ever going to backtrack from where we are. It's gonna there there'll be it's I'm like drawing a graph with my hand that nobody can see, so never mind. <laughs> um, but it, in the grand scheme of things, I know that it felt like we took a really big step back, but. Margaret Cho's show, she still, we still honor her for doing that and, and Amy Hill and B.D. Wong and everybody for being part of that show and for that show existing because it was a very important part of the journey. There's no way we could be here now without that show having existed, right? Even though it didn't succeed. Not every first thing that you try, whether you're Asian, black, white, Latino, whatever, human, just as humans, and the first thing that you go for is not usually not going to be your best go, right? You need to try. You need to keep getting back up and doing it over and over again. Granted, hopefully not another 20 years from now. That's the horrible part. But also going back to what Jeff was saying about how, you know, the battle now is for agency. You know, I think the reason why all these shows have found success and were able to have such great voices is also because the, the talent in the industry, not just actors but also the executives the showrunners the writers have also caught up right we're at, we have much more people in positions to make these decisions now for sure that we're not relying on like allies who have no idea what our cultural exactly are. but i'm saying yeah. and but also like there are people behind the scene too so i wasn't only speaking about actors but yeah i yeah. meant like that entire experience who knows what ripple effect that had to prompt xyz producer to say like we need another show. It's going to take some time, but we're going to we're going to do this and yeah. have the grit and wherewithal to keep going with that when everyone's shutting you down and rejecting your scripts and saying what? And it's I was super excited this um this weekend I was in Vancouver and I saw posters for Kim's Convenience, which is the big like Asian Canadian show that's just premiered on Tuesday that we can't watch here because we're not in Canada and they won't let us watch it. <laughs> Someone get me a coffee. <laughs> But Canadians, yeah, after <laughs> NAFTA, just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, Kim's Convenience is amazing, and it's funny because people have talked about Kim's Convenience as sort of like 
the north of the border fresh off the boat, right? <laughs> and there's an Australian show that people are talking about at the down under fresh off the boat. And it's like, you know, fresh off the boat has become this weird, you know, at least metaphoric template, if not actual inspiration for a lot of these things. And what's interesting is this, right? I mean, you never want to feel like the one thing that somebody has done is going to be the thing that changes everything. Right. Uh, but I, I literally had this conversation uh, at the at the premiere party for Fresh Off the Boat with a head of a studio. I won't say which studio and in what context, uh, but you know somebody was a guest there who basically was just like effusively white guy, by the way, <laughs> very white guy, <laughs> uh, effusively saying how glad it was, glad he was, and they were at the studio to see that Fresh Off the Boat was happening, uh, and that they were just crossing their fingers that Fresh Off the Boat would be a success because quote unquote. We have all these amazing Asian projects we'd love to do, and it would allow us to do them. Mm-hmm. And my jaw hit the ground because <laughs> I, I, I was looking at this guy who is very, uh, very enthusiastically and and authentically, I mean sincerely, saying that they had all these amazing projects they wanted to do with Asians that they were not going to do unless. An Asian show, a show featuring Asian Americans, managed to eke out some kind of success. Otherwise, those things would just sit in the pipeline, you know, and and collect dust. No pressure. And that is what Hollywood is all about. It's a mob mentality. If you can't prove something works, it won't, you know, people won't right. give that thing a chance. Unless, of course, it's undiscovered indie white talent, because <laughs> That's just what Hollywood does. Now well, we found a stops. gem. Because right? that's the thing, like we've and we've talked about this a lot on this podcast over the over the last almost two years now. Wow. Um, and you know, as someone who you know, I've I've worked in corporate. I have you know my business degree, and so like I can see like the reason is because no one wants to like white indie films, right? The reason those are people are willing to do that is because there's been a track record of white indie films doing pretty well over you know making money over their budget and there just hasn't been any data any performance on any american stuff so it's a dumb reason but it's a reason made out of this like this adherence to this corporate structure we can't take any risks because we'll get fired right i'm gonna be that guy i i yeah because what if it doesn't work yeah then i was totally right what formula can we put together to make sure that this is? A but hit? then you know, like you have every other, you have studies saying showing like diversity actually is better for business, um, diversity better for culture, and all these things. That's like, like this is the decision should have just been a no duh. Of course, of course, we're gonna like. But you'd like you've it, pointed right? out because Mr. <laughs> MBA over here, like everybody's risk averse. But then you know, enter these shows, and that's why I think it's. I don't know. I, I, I remain very hopeful at the end of the day as much as I, I yeah. outwardly express <laughs> my disgust or frustrations. Really, though, I'm very happy the way things are going because they are ultimately moving yeah. much more in that direction. I mean, I recognize where Mr. Corporate White McCorporate Pants is coming from because, you know, if this works, he, you know, they're trained to see good works, right? They're like, what can be hits, right? It's a hit-based economy. And basically, they need this thing to hit in order for the rest of these hits that they know what might be hits to be able to be made. I'm, I'm losing my train of thought, but it's, yeah, you know, it's, it sucks that this is how it works, but that's also a testament to just how 
you know, lucky we are to be in, like, to be here at this point in time where we've have we've proved that it works, and now everyone's scrambling to like. Well, and that's just gonna. I say that that is just gonna prompt more people again to be bolder with their moves. I mean. Thank you, props, and shout out to Eddie Wang for writing his book. You know what I mean? Like, if he had never even felt that his boldness, and he's, you know, his own, like, character, he, he's, if he had never written that book and that show, and there's so many steps along the way. That's the part that interests me as, like, figuring out my Asian-American identity and looking to people who really were trailblazers, who were taking risks before anybody gave them an okay or a thumbs up or, you know... Yeah, a retweet, whatever. Before any of that happened, somebody had to be like, "I don't know if anybody's gonna like this or approve of it, accept it, but I'm gonna do it anyway because I gotta say it." Yeah, and you know, it's it says a lot that the guy said that there's tons in the pipeline because we know that there there's oh, way yeah. more than just the immigrant story in the Asian American canon, right? There's so many stories. They're busy remaking the Hulk for the ninetieth time. <laughs> Everyone move in Hollywood. I just want my like <laughs> freaks and geeks '90s throwback Asian sitcom or something. That's what I'm waiting for. I think um, I think I joked with you on this before, but isn't that you know, fresh off the boat? We need fresh off the boat <laughs> yeah. to last another like another maybe five years till they get to like the late '90s. You gotta get to the late '90s. <laughs> you gotta have the bangs and the visors and the jinkos. <laughs> that is a very is special what? time. That was that was your jam. That was like how totally. you rolled. Totally, absolutely. <laughs> well, I mean, hey, knock on wood. You know, getting the really special thing about getting to season three is that you know, assuming that ratings continue to be as decent as they have been, uh, season three means season four, and season four, or maybe season four and a half in our case, uh, would mean syndication. Syndication, yeah. Yeah, it's something that's never happened before for an Asian American centric show. I mean, hell, we've never had a season three for an Asian American show, or season two, or even a full season one. <laughs> but you know what that really means is that a syndication means a show lives forever. I mean, these days shows live forever even if they don't get syndicated because of Netflix and stuff. But you can imagine future generations of Asian Americans or non-Asians, for that matter, having the same conversations that you're having right now. You know, uh, Marvin, you're talking about Freaks and Geeks. Freaks and Geeks is great. You know who was behind Freaks and Geeks? Jay Kasdan. Jay right. Kasdan is, is also one of the uh, co exec one of the executive producers with, you know, uh, Melvin, Melvin, yeah, Mar, uh, and Anashka Khan on Fresh Off the Boat. <laughs> so there are these, these benchmarks of cultural history, of uh, pop, pop culture relevance that we are now a part of. And that maybe is the thing that's most impressive. And most uh, heartwarming, I think, of this whole journey. Yeah. So um, I guess one last thing before before we get back to work. Um, how is it, you know, what are your thoughts about just seeing this whole, like, 20, 30-year saga play out during your career? It's really amazing to me. Uh, I mean, in some ways, I feel like I have had a very full life just from having been present for this sort of generation of change, you know, uh, and to see all these bets and threats and vows, you know, that I've made that others have made finally being paid off now is, uh, it, it's, it's something which I think not a lot of people necessarily have the chance to see in their own lifetimes. Um, I mean, it's not quite like, you know, going from the civil rights era to having a black president, <laughs> uh, but 
you know, hey, we had that too. And that that definitely uh, is no small part of it either. And when we talk about the change of the American uh, constituency, the American cultural you know, reality that we live in, uh, we are now in a, a time and place where we can have a black president, a woman president, an Asian American TV show uh, that is on its third season. We are now living in a world where being who we are in the skin that we are in isn't something we have to be ashamed of. It's something we can be proud of and celebrate. We're now in a time when a podcast like this one can have 89 episodes and, you know, dozens, maybe hundreds of listeners. <laughs> I'm kidding. Oh, thousands. At, at least a hundred, I feel like. No, <laughs> hundreds of listeners. I'm joking. It's because uh, it's because Marvin was like, oh, I, I met I met two or three of our listeners. I was like. <laughs> we get, we get good feedback i'm very great but i feel like it's always our friends and then when you meet someone like a stranger yeah like, like someone who recognizes your voice and like well, but there, we just that's there you go though right <laughs> i mean you know the very fact that that personal media media that that uh can be created by individuals can now have the power to reach out to you know a, a network of hundreds of thousands tens of thousands millions yeah uh, the the changes that we're making right now are permanent you know, we've passed a a point of, of no return in a good way. Yes. And I'd like to think in the next 20 years, uh, assuming that I will be around for them, that uh, these last 20 years will, you know, we'll look back and say we haven't seen nothing yet. Sounds good. Uh, all thank right. you so much, Jeff. I'm so glad we, we, we all carved out the time. All yeah. Um, oh, we didn't even talk about the big event coming up this weekend. Though. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, yeah, uh, that thing. That really quickly. <laughs> Real quick. Jeff, yeah. you plug, you plug. Yeah, so you know, if you're listening to this, and I, I hope this uh, this is something you're listening to before Sunday. But this Sunday, we are doing an event called I Am Asian American. It is a collaboration between collaboration uh, and uh, APIA Vote and 18 Million Rising and a bunch of random, uh, you know, veterans of the culture wars like myself uh, and Wen Tiu, who is uh, the the brainchild uh, of all this. What it is, is it's a get out the vote, a free get out the vote concert that's taking place not just here in Los Angeles at the Wiltern Theater, but at three other cities simultaneously, New York, Chicago, and Northern Virginia slash DC. And the goal is to actually uh, activate and, uh, you know, excite and, and generate hopefully real enthusiasm among Asian American millennials who are the least registered, least likely to vote segment in the least likely to register and vote community in America, Asian Americans. Uh, 15,000 Asian American millennials, that's our target for registering and getting out to the polls for this pivotal election. If you are in the LA area, please come. Tickets are free, and it should be an amazing show. You know, uh, we've got the Philharmonic, we've got Poriotics, we've got AJ Raphael, we've got a bunch of incredible performers from the Voice of Our Vote album, uh, and of course, Collaboration has done an incredible job of curating performers for the other three events as well in New York, Chicago, and DC. We hope to see you there, and, and hope that you tune in, and we definitely hope you vote. Yes. Yep. 
I had to throw in the millennial yas. <laughs> you can check out the website at IamAsianAmerican.com. And again, if you're in LA, the free concert is going to be at the Will Turn in K-Town. So come on down. You the- do have to register for those. So you got to go to the website and, and secure your free ticket. So, But it is free. Do not delay. We love free stuff. Exactly. So easy. Um, thanks again, Jeff, uh, for joining us this week. Uh, if people want to find more of your stuff, follow you on Twitter or um, read your articles. Where can they go? Uh, they can follow me at Original Spin on Twitter, at Original Spin. And, uh, you know, otherwise, search for Jeff Yang in Google. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, it's like I'm, I'm still, I think, the number one person who comes out, uh, comes up in that. Uh, and, you're, you know, all the crazy things I've done come up. You're the number one Jeff Yang. I'm, I'm Jeff Yang Prime, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, thanks again for listening to the Collabcast. Again, if you have any feedback, questions, or um, want to get a topic up on the podcast, you can email us at podcast at collaboration.org. We always love hearing from you. And you can also subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and wherever podcasts are found through our RSS feeds. If you do listen to us on iTunes, please leave us a rating and review. It always is nice to hear from our fans, and it makes us feel good about what we do. This week's intro and outro is brought to us by Paul Date um, off his new album, Invisible World. Check that out. And yeah, that's, that'll do it. Um, thanks again to our guest, Jeff Yang, for joining us. Um, for Minji and Marvin, we'll see you all next week. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.